0: Hello, hello, Summit Church Online. Pastor Wayne Hansen here from Summit Church of Douglas County, 4240 North Perry Park Road. It's not too late to come in person or just stay where you are on whatever platform you're watching this on. And we're going to have worship in about five minutes. And so, sh- would you share this link with whatever platform you're on? It's Pastor Wayne H on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And if you will do me another solid, if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and ding the bell so you get notifications when we go live and give us a like, and that would help us a lot on the YouTube channel as well. And it's a great way to help us do online ministry, reach as many people as we possibly can. So this is your five minute warning, grab a coffee, grab a Bible, grab a notebook and a a pen and tell a friend and let's get started here in about five minutes to worship together. So we'll see you in a few. This, this closer you come, the faster I preach. Will you kill the audio for me there? Yes. Yeah, press that little play button. It will stop. <laughs> come close, come close, come close, my friends.
1: Welcoming,
0: welcome to everybody here on. You got it? Top right corner there. You go. Ahead and press. Some bugs at the computer today.
1: Magic.
2: Magic.
0: Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we got we got a couple sickies at home, so it's just me and Ron and the band and Mr. Mr. Drummer in a box over here. Right. Won't, you, <laughs> won't you guys stand up. And let's worship God today. This is one called Happy Day. I think you've heard it before. Hebrews talks about coming into the very throne room of God, because now we can come boldly before the throne of grace, Amen. because we have an advocate, his name is Jesus, Amen. and he loves us and so that's what this song is all about. Right thing, sometimes you want to do the wrong thing, sometimes the good guy wins, sometimes the bad guy wins, uh, I'm the same, I'm the same, I'm a human being up here, everybody, I got the same uh, sin nature as you do, and Jesus was human in every way, and he battled with his heavenly father in the, that battle of the wills, but if we could sing that one more time, and really mean it, just say, Lord, take my heart form me, take my mind, transform.
2: Pastor Wayne was saying that uh, we all fight the fight. That's right. Every day, almost every minute of every day we fight the fight. And uh, you know, but there's a prize at the end of the, at the fight. That's right. And it's a prize like none other. It's a prize we can't even really imagine. Uh, anyway, this, this scripture that I'm going to read has everything to do with that. Paul was talking to the Philippians. This comes from Philippians chapter three, verse 12. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. We can't look back That's right. because there's a lot of stuff and we can't change it. We can't change it whatsoever. So there's no use in spending time in the past. We should always look forward to what God has for. And a prize like none other. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Thanks be
1: I want to be close, close to your side. Heaven is real, and death is a lie.
0: today. and Lord, for our family members that are either sick or traveling today, would you bless them too? Make this a wonderful week. Help us to take a hold of the truth that we find in Hebrews today and be the people that you want us to be. We love you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you take a minute and give somebody an air five or a knuckles or a, a hug or whatever you feel comfortable doing. Greet somebody online. Share this link with a friend, everybody. Thank you for joining us online here with Summit Church of Douglas County. You can support the ministry today if you go to mysummitchurch.com. Click the donate button, or you can do that on our Facebook page. You can text the gift to 303-625-9434. Enter the amount of your gift in the text box. Press send and follow the prompts using your smartphone. A 100% of what you give by text will go to the ministry. You can also mail your gift to Summit Church, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. We'd love to hear from you. Grab a refill for your coffee. Grab your Bible. Grab a notebook and a prayer. A pen. Share this with a friend, and we're so glad you're along for the ride today. Turn in, the, in your Bible to the Book of Hebrews, and we are going to get into it today. I'm excited for this message. We've got some, several illustrations today. Good to see you, Jesse. How are you? Yeah, excellent. excellent. Awesome. Well, man, it's good to see you guys this morning. Glad you're here. There is a pot of coffee downstairs, so you better yourself over a refill. We get to see coffee go to waste around here. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. Hey, have you, did you notice we're, get, we're actually early getting to the word today? So it might mean we get out of church early. Does that sound good? We get to the word early, we can leave early. All right. Hebrews, it's page 1625 in my Bible. I'm not sure what page it might be for you. All right, the book of Hebrews. It's a letter to Jewish people everywhere. And we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews because there's not indicators of it in the text. A lot of people think it's just another letter from Paul to all the Hebrew believers. We're not sure. It's not signed like all the other Pauline letters are signed. Some people think it might have been Clement of Rome. Or it could have been James, the brother of Jesus, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, a very Jewish church, obviously. So we're not sure who the uh, the author of Hebrews was, but I I have my belief that it was probably either Paul or Clement, but probably Paul, because the this, this styling of the letter is very similar to some of the other letters. He just forgot to sign this one, is my belief. But I've titled this talk today, Mixing Metaphors. Mixing Metaphors. Now, how many of you guys... You ever use a whisk to mix things? Yeah. How many rather have the power tool where you turn the trigger and you mix the cake mix that way? My wife has one of those KitchenAid mixers where you. k-chunk, kchunk. Whoa whoa whoa! Like it's great. Like, but you know, if you really want to mix something the old school way, you get a whisk and you mix things up. I've titled the talk today "Mixing Metaphors," because Hebrews every single chapter has many metaphors in it because the the writer of Hebrews is trying to get the audience to understand that Jesus has come to fulfill the law, that God gave the law. He gave the law to the Jewish people, gave it to Moses, gave it to uh, uh, the Ten Commandments for, for them to obey. But Christ came as a fulfillment of the law, and he didn't come just for Jewish people. He did come for Jewish people, but not just Jewish people. He came for the whole world that God opened up a way for all of us to know him. And so every chapter, the writer of Hebrews draws a different metaphor because he's trying to explain sort of a a complicated theological notion. And how many of the Bible can be confusing sometimes, right? But aren't you glad God is not confused? I might be confused. God never confused. And he knows what's up. So... I've called this mixing metaphors today because every chapter has a different metaphor and I have a metaphor at the end that helps me understand my own spirituality, my own Christianity and my relationship with God. So take the journey with me. So Hebrews was written to Jewish converts to reinforce their current faith in Christ and to encourage them not to revert to their former religion. The overriding message of this book is that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament system of sacrifice for sin. So you don't have to convert to Judaism before you can become a Christian. You know there are a lot of Christians today that want to go back to Old Testament Mosaic Law. In fact, there are, there are some that would say some, one day of the week in particular you need to worship on that day, not any other day. And Jesus kind of kind of blasted that one because he said, "My Father works every day." <laughs> he was a Sabbath breaker that really bothered the Jews quite a bit. He said, "Hey, don't you understand?" Man was not made, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a blessing, it's not a curse. These, these laws that God gave was not to, here to weigh you down, they're here to set you free. And he, he came to show us the spirit behind the law. So why would we enslave ourselves again to religion when Jesus set us free from religion? Jesus brings it to, to a place of true relationship with God, true spirituality. In the Word, by the Holy Spirit, we get to know the, the guiding and leadings of what God wants us to do with our lives. And 90% of what you need to know about the Christian life, it's already written down in this book. So a lot of people are like, I wish you would just show me a sign. He did. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. This Here's your sign right here. It's about, I don't know. 6,000 years old, and it's got all kinds of beautiful things in there that you should learn and take on to yourself. And there's a lot of people who made the mistakes you already made, so you don't have to make them anymore. <laughs> and you can relate to those people, right? So the overriding of the book is, is, is to, the theme of the book is to receive Christ and receive freedom from legalistic religion. Not, to, not that we reject the Old Testament, but we see that there's a fuller picture it's like the Old Testament is a painting in black and white, but it's just a landscape. There's no subject, and then Jesus steps into the picture, and it becomes a beautiful color photograph. Right? We see we see God for who He really is, not just a not just a pale, you know, shadow of what the kingdom is all about. So, who wrote it? We don't really know. Is probably, probably some say probably not Paul. The style is quite different from Paul's letters. But the author was certainly a highly educated with thorough knowledge of the Jewish religious practices in the Old Testament. Some people think it could have been Timothy as well. We're not sure. Certainly a Jewish scholar. Um, When did it happen? We know that it happened before AD 70 because the book refers to the daily ritual sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem, which which were still going at the writing of this book. So it had to have happened before the ritual daily sacrifices stopped in Jerusalem. Where does it fit in? Well, during the third and fourth decade after the early church began is probably where we believe this probably was written. And here's a breakdown of the chapter themes. We'll cover, we're gonna be covering Hebrews today uh, and then we'll do Hebrews part two next Sunday and we'll have get, gotten through the whole book, pray for everybody. There's a lot of rich text here and I'm, we're doing carpet bombing of these, okay? So it's like, I, you, don't, you don't get all the minutiae detail. You gotta study the Bible for yourself. I'm giving you just high, the highlights here. Chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is superior to the angels. Chapter 3, Jesus is superior to Moses. Chapters 4 through 7, Jesus is superior to the Old Testament priesthood. Chapters 8 through 10, Jesus is our high priest. Chapter 11, the faith hall of fame, or what many call the faith chapter. Chapter 12, persevering in the faith. And then chapter 13, final instructions so the key concepts that we get from hebrews is this christ is better better than greater than sacrifice than the priesthood then uh, and then the themes of faith and discipline there's a few scorecards of, of there certain people that are mentioned in hebrews that are very crucial of course jesus the greatest of all priests moses the old testament lawgiver melchizedek now this is a Fairly obscure Bible character from the Old Testament that we see here in Hebrews. He's a prophet and a king from the time of the patriarchs. He was actually a prophet-priest king. He held three offices at once. Many think that he was a theophany or a a pre-incarnational appearance of Christ to Abraham. We don't know, but it's pretty, pretty likely that he was. Heroes of the Faith, chapter 11, presents more than 20 examples of people who lived and acted by faith acted in faith, and people who suffered for the faith, people who died for their faith, people who uh, went through all kinds of difficulty, you know they're going to receive their reward, you're going to receive your reward when you suffer for your faith, and um, you can read Hebrews in about 25 minutes, so this is a little bit longer than some of the epistles we've been studying, and that's why I said we're going to take two weeks on this, here's, here's a few verses worth memorizing, chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is alive and powerful, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. <laughs> the Bible exposes your motives. It shows you for who you really are. You start looking into the mirror of God's word, and you go, oh, i got some schmutz there. i got to get that up. Okay, oh, my, oh my, my hair's a mess. What's going on? We look into the word of God and we go, oh, Jesus is perfect. And look at me. I'm not so perfect. I got, I got some stuff, work to do, right? Uh, chapter four, verse 15 to 60, another verse worth memorizing. It says, he, this high priest of ours, Christ, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same things that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. Chapter 11, verse 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin which so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Those are some rich nuggets from the book of Hebrews. Of course, this is written from a masculine perspective, most likely a rabbi or someone who is trained in Judaism. In chapter 12, the Christian life is compared to To a race, like athletes, we are to get rid of every unnecessary weight and keep focused on the finish line. The weight that holds us back is sin, and our focus should be Christ himself. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't keep your eyes on a pastor. Don't keep your eyes on a Christian celebrity. Don't get your eyes on a denomination or a church system or a structure. People will always disappoint you. But Jesus never will. We can count on him. He's our anchor. And that's that's one of the metaphors. We're talking about we're talking about mixing our metaphors today. Okay, the first metaphor that we're gonna talk about is an heir versus a hireling. An heir, someone who inherits great wealth and property versus someone who's just hired to take care of things. It's a big difference between an owner and a manager, right? <laughs> the owner takes a personal interest. And how the business is going. A manager doesn't really care. <laughs> like, oh, you broke, broke some glass. Well, that sucks for the owner. Well, not, I'm glad it's not my store, right? And they'll they'll let, let people steal stuff and just walk out. Well, they, they don't own it, right? So they don't care. The difference between someone who's just hired to be there versus someone who's an heir, an owner, is a big difference. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is God's son, and now we know in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God gave Him is greater than their names, that God has given Him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the owner. (laughs) We become co-heirs with Christ. We're not hirelings. If there's any hirelings in the kingdom, it's the angels. And that's why we see the fallen angels, or Lucifer was a fallen angel. He wanted to take some of the glory unto himself. He didn't want to follow God anymore. He had, angels have free will as well, but they don't have the promise of redemption or the salvation of Christ's blood. When they're condemned, they're condemned completely. So therefore angels, this is verse 14 of chapter one, therefore angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people, who will inherit salvation or their ministering spirits another translation says angels are here to protect us they're here to strengthen us they're here to help us they're here sent on assignments sometimes to give messages right and i'm sure there's lots of times when angels have probably intervened in my life and i didn't even know it <laughs> probably in yours too and so we are heirs we are owners we're not hirelings We've chosen Christ and Christ has chosen us and we are saved by grace through faith, not because of good works, not because we're good little boys or girls. He saved us because he loved us and he redeemed us and all he says is just "Just come to me, just say yes, just receive me, believe on me and you'll have eternal life. Oh, that sounds too good to be true. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) It's good news, it's the gospel. So, difference between an heir and a hireling. That's chapter one. Chapter two, metaphor number two. A merciful high priest versus a stern rulemaker. A merciful high priest versus a stern rulemaker. How many of you have ever had a, a teacher that had lots of rules in school? And they wanted to write the rules down on the chalkboard, and they never let you erase the rules. Refer to rule number one. And when you're confused, refer to rule number three, which says refer refer back to rule number one again. Come on. Have you ever have teachers like that? Rule makers. They love to make the rules. Are they making the rules for you, or are they making the rules for them? They're making the rules for them, for their own convenience, for what they want their classroom to behave like so they can have a headache-free day, right? Aren't you glad that God did not make the rules for his convenience? He made the rules to protect us because he loves us and he's for us and he knows what's good for us, not because it bothers him in some kind of way. He knows that sin's bad for us. It's like poison. And so Christ is a merciful high priest. He's loving, he's gracious. He's not a stern rule maker. We, we, don't, have to, we don't have to question God's motives. We know God is good, he always does what's right, he's loving. He's gracious, he's kind, he's trustworthy. He's not selfish. He is full of himself, because what else would he be filled with, right? He's God. He's full to the fullness of himself, because he's everywhere all the time, in all places, everywhere, everywhere. But he should be the obsession of our hearts, because he loves us so very much. He will do anything to reach you and me, and has done everything. He's done everything necessary for us to be reconciled to himself. Jesus is that merciful high priest. So the writer continues here in chapter two. He says, so what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose Jesus He's the God-man. He's the merciful high priest. He's the one that can help us go right into the Holy of Holies. We don't go on our own. We go through our high priest, Jesus, who made that sacrifice of his precious blood once for all time so that we could all be reconciled to God. So chapter 2, verse... Oh, let's go to verse eight. It says, so you gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. Well, we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. So what, do we, what we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels because he suffered death for us. He is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the one that he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus... Is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. He's our brother. He's our waymaker. He's our high priest. A merciful, gracious, loving high priest. Verse 16. So we also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every aspect or every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And we can't say to God, oh, you don't know what it's like to be me. Oh, no, no, (laughs) Jesus knows Jesus is going through all of it, and yet without sin. He's able to walk that that way for us and show the way to have a relationship with God. That's metaphor number two, a merciful high priest. Metaphor number three, chapter number three. This is similar to chapter one. A homeowner versus a groundskeeper. A homeowner versus a groundskeeper. Now, the homeowner... (laughs) <laughs> Again, takes a great interest in how his house is being run. He he cares about if the windows are dirty or not. He's got keys to the whole place, right? Someone who's just caring for the place. He goes, well, if something bad happens, I'll tell the owner. But I'm not like gonna risk my life to like protect the property. You know, I'm I'm just hired to be here. You know, I'll just kind of do my thing. You know, if I get around to it, <laughs> right? That's the difference between. The, the homeowner versus the groundskeeper. Jesus is, the, is greater than Moses. And he, he draws the writer of Hebrews draws this conclusion between Moses and Jesus. And so here's what it says. So dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom he declared to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God, who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Jesus is the builder of the house. He's the owner of the house. We're the house. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We belong to him, lock, stock, and barrel, right? We have to submit to what he wants wants to do. And Moses was a good example of being a servant of the tabernacle. But now because of Jesus, the high priest, We've become the temple. And Christ is the owner of this temple. In another place, Paul says, you've been bought with a a price, so glorify God with your body. You are not your own. You don't even belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. That's metaphor number three. The builder of the house, the homeowner. Metaphor number four, chapter number four. And this is, this is pretty powerful when you look at the exodus versus our sin sickness. A restless curse versus a Sabbath rest blessing. You ever find people that just, they can't ever be settled? They can't sit still. If it's silent, they start to go crazy. Like they just can't. Maybe you're, you were or are one of those people. You can't stand the silence. Well, maybe God's trying to talk to you. Maybe you should be silent for a few moments and just see what he says. And be be content with who you are in Christ and realize everything you have has already been provided. Just rest in his arms. Just be with him. You don't have that sermon, you don't have to be at church, doesn't that mean music playing? You can just be with God. Some people find that very uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe. Because when that happens, he does start to speak. He starts to convict of sin. He starts going, oh, I finally got your attention. While we're here, can we talk about a couple things? Now that I finally have your undivided attention. Right? But God is not bringing a curse of restlessness. See, sin sickness brings a restlessness that cannot be Cannot be um, satisfied. It's insatiable. There's a continual frenetic movement. If I could just stay busy, just stay active, then I, I won't have to think about the pain of my past. I won't have to think about the, the, the regrets that I have. I won't have to think about all the things that I have to do next. And there's a, there's a frenetic, restless curse that's, that's on the sinner. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard to be a sinner. It's hard to be away from God because you got to figure all this stuff out on your own. You have to be the God of your own life because you're not trusting a God, so you got to make all the God decisions. Ooh, that's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting trying to be God, isn't it? Anybody ever tried it? That's because you're not supposed to be sitting in his chair. God belongs on the throne, not you. Amen? So it's a restless curse versus a Sabbath rest, and the writer talks about that. The promised rest for God's people. Verse three says, for only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though his rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passages, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for entering his rest. And at that, that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words that he, when he quoted, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Soften. Chapter uh, verse eleven of chapter four. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our inner innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. Boy, aren't you glad he doesn't stop there? Because we're like, oh no, God is the magnifying glass. and He's just waiting to zap me like I did with the ants when I was a kid, come on, <laughs> right? No, that's not, that's not his nature. That's not who he is. Christ is our high priest. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations and, that we do, the testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it, the most, a, a, a Sabbath rest blessing. Jesus says, "I'm just waiting for you. Take a look. I'll sit down. I've been waiting for you to, to be in my prayer. I, I've been waiting all. Would you just calm down? Would you stop all this, whatever this is, and just sit down? Just sit up. Just sit with me. Just sit down. Calm down. Take a breath. What are you doing? You're doing a hundred different things. How about you just do one thing? Sit with me." Why don't you just just sit with me? (laughs) When I sit with God, you know what he tells me? Um, Knock it off. (laughs) He says, everything on that list, you can just ball that up and throw it in the (laughs) trash. We're not going to do any of those things today. What you're going to do, you're going to sit with me. And you're going to, actually, you're going to like it. (laughs) You will like it. You don't like the idea right now, but after you're with me for a few moments... You'll see. You'll see. I want to be close, close to your heart. Right? Jesus draws close. I want to sit in your lap, Lord. Just let you say what you need to say to me. And I can say, God, I love you. God, I need you. Yeah, Lord, forgive. That intimacy is what we need. We're desperate for it. The frenetic activity creates a restlessness where you'll never enter your place of rest. You'll never be satisfied. It'll never be good enough. You'll always wonder if you did enough. And Jesus says, Stop it. I did it it all. (laughs) I already did it all. (laughs) Just sit with me, just receive my gift. That is hard, isn't it? (laughs) Because The human tendency is to say, no, I want to contribute to it. God, I want to show you, I want to prove to you that I deserve it. He goes, no, (laughs) no. No, you don't deserve it. (laughs) Just stop. And you never will. You never will. Just just come to the conclusion, the fact that I love you. And I already paid it. I already paid it. So stop trying. (laughs) And just rest. Just be with me. I'm preaching to myself. I hope you know that too. Metaphor number five. Chapter number five. Continuing on this whole idea of Jesus the high priest. And then Paul was, or I believe it's Paul, but it could be James or anybody. This writer says, milk versus meat. Another mixed metaphor. Milk versus meat. (laughs) people who are willing to go deeper with God and people who want to just keep it professional. <laughs> Let's keep it on a surface level. Like, can we just do an hour like Christmas and Easter and we'll call that good? It's like, no, that's not what he wants. And by the way, that's really not what you want ultimately either. The writer says this, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Chapter five, verse six. In another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And God designated him to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, a prophet-priest-king. The order of Melchizedek is that he's a ruler, he's a voice box for God, and he's an intermediary. <laughs> he's, he makes a way for mankind to come to the, the throne of grace and to know God as his children become co-heirs, to be co-owners with Jesus. Well, what does it call us to? It calls us to spiritual growth, not just a topical knowledge about God, not just a surface knowledge. Verse 11, there is much more that we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull. Don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant, doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Those who, those through trading have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. A spiritually mature person digs into the word. They dig into applying the truths of God's word to the lay. They don't just want to know God in a surface way. They want to really, know him. They want intimacy with God. They want to have a dialogue with him every day. Come on, right? You know, Christianity isn't just about being the head knowledge. It's about experiential knowledge. It's about knowing him to the core of who you are. Letting him in to all of the places of your life, especially the places where you don't want him to go. (laughs) Because when you let him into the secret place, then he says, hey, wait, hey, look, we can finally unpack this. Why do you do this? Oh, I see, I see. Well, let me heal that. Let me help you there. Let me strengthen you there. Oh, you fell down. Let me pick you up again. Come on, come on, come on, right? But people are too proud to say, no, I'll do it on my own. No, Jesus, you can't go in there. That's no. I'm, I'm ashamed of that. You don't just leave that closet alone, Jesus. Come on, anybody? No, he says, that's the very place he goes. He's like, that's where we're going. That's what needs my attention more than anything else that looks like it's together. Hmm. Whew, I, hope th- I hope you're getting this. It's deep stuff, right? Whew, milk versus meat, the deep stuff of God. Metaphor number six, chapter number six, drifting spiritually. Versus an anchor for your soul. Again, a lot of a lot of times we feel like we're drifting, right? We go, oh God, would God would just show me a sign? I wish He would just tell me what he wants me to do. <laughs> he already did. <laughs> just read it. Just read it. Just apply it to your life. <laughs> just pray. Listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. Find your grounding. Find your roots in God. There's no big mystery. (laughs) We really know. We actually know. (laughs) We just want to pretend we don't know, right? So, drifting versus an anchor for our souls. And the writer says this, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and so, God willing, we'll move to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who then turn away from it, from God. And it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him to public shame. Now, this could be tricky for a lot of people to think, oh, does that mean that once I sin, I become, if I'm a Christian, I sin again, I'm going to hell? No, it's not what it means because we have the full counsel of the Bible. We can look at all the scripture and see it in, in the context. What he's saying is, there's no other way to be saved. <laughs> If a, person, if a person drifts, who says, oh, yeah, I used to go to church. Yeah, but I just kind of, yeah, Jesus' stuff didn't work for me. Well, you're not going to find any other way. <laughs> There's no, you're not going to make your own little way to God by creating, crafting God in your own image of what you think God is. God is who he is, and you're made in his image, not the other way around. There's no other sacrifice for sins but the sacrifice that's already been made. So someone go well, no, it's just, I don't know, just, I'm not feeling it. You know. And there are, a lot of, there are a lot of people like that. They're like, I used to go to church, but that works for you, but it just doesn't work for me. Come on, have you ever heard this stuff before? I'm not really into organized religion. So you're into disorganized religion? Because <laughs> that's what it sounds like what you got. I don't think disorganized religion is working for you. <laughs> go. Well, that sounds really harsh, Pastor. I can't believe you'd say something like that. The truth hurts. The truth hurts. Amen. But but the truth will also set you free. It'll set you free. So, no more shallow Christians. No more shallow-rooted Christians. You just make the agreement right now that if you're a Christian, you're growing. I want to grow. I want to root myself in God's word. I want to root myself in Christ. I'm not content to stay where I am. I want to learn more. I want to become more of who God wants me. doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean I'll ever be perfect. But it means I am working towards being more like Jesus every day. Even if it's just a couple of centimeters closer. Right? And I have a few setbacks. That's okay. He loves me. He loves me. Some people go, like, but, but but I don't get that. I don't get that. Can you still sin and be a Christian? Well, how many Christians in your view you have sinned since you became a Christian? Yes. Let's just settle that question. And I, I felt I felt so compelled to do this because I know a lot of people struggle with this idea of being a Christian that sins. Here's what 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says. It says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... That kind, if <laughs> yeah. <It's> so funny, <laughs> if if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. If we sin, we have an advocate. You're going to sin again. I hate to break it to you. It's probably going to happen before you die again. Okay? But thank God we have an advocate. What I like to say is that do Christians sin? Yes. But they're not happy about it. Before you, before you were a Christian, you were a sinner and you loved it. Right? Come on. Right? Maybe some of you watching still are like that. Well, you're watching the right message then. Right? Because a true believer starts going, ooh, I know that's not good. I know this isn't good for me. I know God has better things for me. That's not really who I am. (laughs) It's not who I want to be. Amen? And so God helps us in that duality. And so here's what it says in verse 10 of Hebrews 6, and we'll land the plane here in a second. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going on to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. There's a promised hope. We have a a promise. Skipping to verse 16, he says, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself. If you have a pen and you're reading it on a paper Bible, would you underline bound himself? For God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received The promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Underline, never change his mind. Can can God lie? No. If he makes a promise, does he have to keep it? Yes. Verse 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. I would underline impossible. (laughs) God's character is not in question. Us, maybe. (laughs) Him, never. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You feel like you're drifting? You feel like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Anchor yourself in Jesus. Put yourself on the unchanging rock, the solid rock of God. Because he never changes like shifting shadows. He doesn't He doesn't go back on his promises. He keeps everything that he said. And he will never change his mind about you. He says, I love you, period. The end. That's it. You're in. Ticket's been stamped. You're going to heaven. Now we're going to work on you a little bit. <laughs> we're going to grow you up a little. We're do, do, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we're, we're going to put you in training now. We're going to put you in some training. All right? And as his son, as his daughter, we go, okay, God, if you're the anchor of my soul, have at it whatever I need to do to be more like Jesus. It says it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Verse 20, 20. I guess 20. Jesus has already gone in there for us and he has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, some of you are wondering what this illustration is here, all right? I'm, I call, since we're mixing metaphors, and this this little illustration helps me, all right? But if our lives are like a vessel or like a cup, Some of our lives might look like this dirty solo cup here, right? It's the party cup, right? It's got somebody's name written on it. (laughs) A little broken heart on there. Definitely written by a drunk person, for sure. hmm. Would you want to drink from that cup? First of all, it's not my name, and uh, there's dirt in there. How did your life before Christ kind of look like this busted out, dirty solo cup? Right? What a mess. What a mess! And God, God, says, "Oh man, I see value. Will you just give that to me?" I'm like this? You want this? Yeah, I'll take it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something with that. Really? You want this? He goes, yeah, yeah. Give me that. I'm gonna do something with it. Okay. Right? So he puts, he puts that cup. Under the blood of Jesus and it's covered and 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 our all of our sin has been covered by Christ and his blood and what is Paul saying in in a different letter different gospel if any man be in Christ he's he's a he's a what he's a a a new creation the old dirty solar cup is gone And a beautiful chalice has been born, right? Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Beautiful. God can take your old, busted, nasty, dirty life and make it brand new. But how many of the, we Christians, like I said,
2: we sin again, don't we?
0: And this is not what they tell you you talked about. Like lots of pastors would not tell you this, but I'm I'm honest, okay? I honest. I'm not just preaching, I'm telling the truth everybody. Right? We we put sin in the cup. Right? You ever been a Christian that knows better? gonna sin in the cup. G. Okay? That doesn't look good in there, does it? This did something that looks like Motorola being one of the beautiful chalice like that? No. So there's a rewashing, there's a renewal that happens when I'm in Christ, right? There's a, a washing of the word. Romans says that I die daily. He says that, that we have become a living sacrifice. He talks about the Holy Spirit being like the water that fills it. So we. We have to, like the original language said, we have to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we fill the glass with wrong things, sinful thinking, the old nature. We are Christians,
2: <laughs>
0: but we're not living according to our calling but by the garbage that's still in there. But when we let the water of the Holy Spirit come, it fills the glass, right? And displaces all the garbage and the sin and the monk and the mire right and we become full to the overflowing washing by the water of the word and the spirit right and that's a beautiful idea what's even more beautiful to put in that cup of course would be the new wine I have pomegranate juice but that's what it's for it's it's to contain all the fullness of Christ and reflect the nature and the purity and the goodness and the holiness of God. He takes our old dead life and gives us a new identity and then when we sin, we have an advocate and we have the Holy Spirit to fill us and we have to be being filled of the Spirit and we become more and more like Christ when we let God have his way. Does, does this is this the forever story of this cup, unless it's broken, right? If it fell and broke, that would be the end of the story. But this cup is going to have many more storings. It's going to have many more fillings. It's going to be cleaned when I take it home, and it'll be filled with something else. There'll be water, there'll be Coke, or there'll be lemonade, or my wife will and maybe have a glass of wine in there, right? And there'll be there'll be something in this cup day to day to day to day to day. day. We have to decide what we want to be filled with as believers. Want to be filled in the muck and the mire, or do we want to let the Spirit come and continually wash us and fill us again and again? Two cups. Well, maybe you've heard a message like this today, and you go, man, that that sounds pretty good. Like, that's the exchange? What does it cost me? Well, it costs God everything. It just takes you saying yes. And then after that, he wants all of you. <laughs> all of you for all of him. All of all, all of all of you <laughs> for all of him. <laughs> Is that a fair exchange? <laughs> not for him, it's not. <laughs> but it's a great deal for you, <laughs> right? It just comes down to saying yes. Saying yes to Christ. If you're ready to say yes, there's a simple prayer I love to lead. It's called just STP. Sorry, thank you, please. You make the exchange. You say, God, I'm sorry for the sins I've created, committed. I want you to come in. I believe you died and that you rose again. Please come into my heart, be my Savior, make my Lord. And that starts a relationship. If you want to do that today, or maybe you're online and you want to just comment there or give us a thumbs up and let us know that you're praying the prayer. Church, will you pray the prayer of salvation? For those who might be praying it today for the first time say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe God raised you from the dead according to the scriptures. Please come into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior, fill me with your spirit. Help me to grow and to be more like you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, that's Hebrews 1 through 6. We'll continue our Hebrew study next week. So glad that you came today. Great to have some newcomers here today as well. If you're new to the, uh, the, one of our online platforms, make sure and comment. Let us know that you're visiting us today. Thank you for being here. If you want to partner with the ministry, you can hit the offering box on the back or if you can uh, hit the donate button online. Glad that you've come. Make sure to mark your calendar for our Alpha Retreat, our Holy Spirit Retreat. We're getting, it's only about four weeks away now. It's going to be on October 29th and 30th at Rampart View Ranch, Rampart View Ranch. Park, and you can almost see it from here. It's right there, about eight miles away. It's beautiful. The cost per person is $55 per person. It's an overnight. It's a Friday, Friday night, Saturday, just one night, and like a day and a half retreat. So don't let money be a reason why you don't go, because we will figure out a way for everyone who wants to be a part of that retreat to be a part. So I think that's all I have. Keep keep uh, Maria and Johnny in your prayers as they get, to get better, and many of our members who are traveling and coming back next week. So... Uh, Why don't you stand? I'll give you the blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you, lift your countenance, and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see many of you on Thursday night for the Alpha Course. Dinner's at 6.30. The talk and discussion is at 7. Hope you can make it. God bless you guys.
3: Have a wonderful day.
0: No, no, you could spend six months on Hebrews. <laughs> A little nutty. Bit. hear this. Hopefully, hopefully,
3: Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hanson. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the Donate button on our Facebook page at Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, MySummitChurch.com, and click the online giving email. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in Daily Prayer. I'm Sean Reima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you.